welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Joey Coleman. He is the Chief Experience Composer at Design Symphony, and also the author of a book we are going to talk about today, Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. So, Joey, thanks for joining me. Oh, John, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I don't think I've heard Experience Composer before, but I love it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where everything I do is about helping companies create better experiences for their customers. And so the thought was, well, we can have a little fun with this. So you and I met a few years back. And the first time I met you, you shared stories with me about your journey in life, um, somewhat leading up to this, but prior to this. And to the point where I came away thinking, this guy is either really incredibly interesting or full of crap. <laughs> and the jury is still out on that folks we're not you, you'll know by the end of this podcast whether you have an opinion one way or the other well, just some of your stories of your travels are just like you, you couldn't make it up i mean uh you, yeah. you have a really interesting uh story and I'll, i'm sure you've written about some of it somewhere so you can you can tell people where they can go get that uh because i think it'll fill in some of the blanks uh, after this conversation well, thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's in many ways, my wife teases me that it's fitting that I ended up in the business of experience design yeah. because my life has been one eclectic, crazy, insane experience after another. And I feel very fortunate for that, but definitely have had quite a few adventures along the way. So customer experience is uh, sort of buzzworthy these days. Um, let's define what the heck that is. Well, I, I look at customer experience and I think what happens more often than not is people confuse the concept of customer service and the concept of customer experience and they, they use them interchangeably. And I personally don't think that uh, that's a good way to do it. I think customer service is more reactive and customer experience is more proactive. So I think of customer experience as basically all the different interactions that contribute to how your customers feel about you. Uh, so that goes to the way you answer the phone, the types of communications you send, uh, uh, how you make them feel welcomed or at home when you have a meeting or they open your product or start to experience their the service. And so to me, there's more of a need for companies to focus on proactively creating remarkable experiences for their customers than reactively just, oh, well, we have to deal with you. Okay, then we'll do this thing. Yeah, I guess you could make a case for if you design a great customer experience, you might not require as much what we would call customer service. Exactly. Exactly. I, I totally agree. And I think it, it not only uh, helps on the cost front, but it also helps in terms of the employee experience. One of the interesting things that came out of the research for the book was the number of companies who had implemented these techniques and these tactics to enhance the customer experience that in the process impacted the employee experience as well. Yeah, and that's a great point because, you know, you imagine companies – that maybe they have a good product, but the experience is so bad that they're, they're people that then are at the help desk or whatever we want to call it are just constantly beat on. And that's not very way, very good way to go through life, is it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that I think also people underestimate about this topic is, you know, they might say, oh, well, we've got this gimmick or we, you know, we, we came up with this way to wow our customers. And, it, and it's really 
It's interesting because I think if you pay attention, it's it's everything. I mean, absolutely. Uh, Google knows this. I mean, that's why site speed is a huge uh, ranking factor. That's why um, you know if you've got data that's wrong in two places, they won't show your your information when somebody does a search because it's that's a bad customer experience. And I think I don't think enough people maybe extend it to that level. Very true. I think the interesting thing, John, is most people kind of go for the low hanging fruit when it comes to customer experience without recognizing that customer experience is every touch point, every interaction for the most from the most minor in passing thing to the biggest moment of a kickoff meeting or a celebration or the or the obvious customer experience. And I think that it, two things. Number one, it's something that I tried to address in the book was really look at all the different a- interactions that contribute overall to the experience. And number two, to be able to step back from that and recognize that it's a never-ending process, which on one hand is kind of frustrating because you're never done. But on the other hand, it says there is always the opportunity to make things better, to enhance the story, to enhance the experience. And it provides a lot of opportunity for companies to grow and continue to polish their presentation. Yeah. And I've actually heard people talk to, talk about it as, as a process of continuous optimization, customer optimization. <laughs> Um, Absolutely. That, that, you know, like an ad, you think you got a good ad out there, you put it out there and it's, it's doing okay, but you're always testing. How can I make it better? And that's probably true about all of these touch points. Very true. And, and one of the benefits, you know, there's, and I know you regularly talk with your audience about, you know, technology tools and some of the great that it's, there's pros and cons to this, right? On one hand, I would posit that we're becoming too focused on technology and automation and we're losing some of the human touch. But on the other hand, many of these tools, if you actually apply them and look at them a little more strategically, they give you the opportunity to create experience at scale in a consistent fashion that allows you to do that ongoing optimization. Yeah, and I think there's a level of and I'm not sure where the friction point you know, happens, but I think there's a level of automation that a customer wants, too. I mean, they don't necessarily have to pick up the phone and call you to ask a question if it would actually be their preference to get that answer you know, in an automated way, perhaps. And, and so I think that's the real balance a lot of times is, is we have to figure out what technology is good for the customer as opposed to good for us. Very true. And this gets into an interesting conversation around segmentation because there are some of your customers who are all about the self-serve and there are other customers who want to be serviced. And the crazy thing is sometimes that can happen within the same home. I joke with my wife a lot because she would much rather go on a website and sort through and maybe do a, ch- a live chat, but probably just navigate through the site to find the answer. Whereas I'm a little more old school and maybe I'm showing my age here. I scroll through the website looking for the phone number because I want to call and talk to a human being because I feel I'm more of an extrovert. I feel like, hey, let's create a, some rapport and then maybe they'll hook me up with some discounts or make my experience even better. Whereas my wife, who's more of an introvert, is of the mindset, how quickly can I solve this problem and move on to the next task? So she's happy to do it in more of a self-serve environment. Yeah. And that's a real challenge though, because I, I relate to your story because my household's the exact same way. I dread, <laughs> I dread the fact that I have to actually talk to somebody on the phone. Um, and, and, you know, it's not that I'm don't like people. 
It said, I've had such bad experiences <laughs> talking sure. to people on the phone. And so how does a company balance that? We got millennials, we got old fart Joey, we got to take care of. I mean, how does a company <laughs> balance that? I, I think what they need to do is, is a couple of things. Number one, take a real look at the customers you serve and find the similarities, but don't be afraid to also point out the differences. So segmentation is something that a lot of businesses talk about. Very few do it effectively. Uh, really try to figure out what are the different types of customers you have. Secondly, take the time to ask them how they would like to be communicated with. Uh, when you first sign up a customer, check in and say, would you prefer us to call you or email you or send something in the mail? Lots of times the customer will tell you the truth and they will tell you how they like to be communicated with. Of course, as the relationship continues, you want to check in every six months or so and make sure that that's still their preferred method of communication. And then number three, I think what you want to do is create different ways for your customers to interact with you so that even if they've flagged that they like to have the phone call, that there's the opportunity for them to do the chat on the website because maybe, you know, I have situations, I'm a night owl by nature where it'll be, you know, three o'clock in the morning and I'm working and it's not going to work for me to call a business that's a nine to five shop. So if I can self-serve on a website or send an email or fill out a contact form and describe what's going on in that moment, that's actually serving me better than needing to make me wait until the following day during regular business hours. One of the things that I find is a, is a challenge is that, um, you know, sometimes creating a better customer experience, maybe it costs money, certainly costs some time cost some thinking, planning. And I think a lot of companies don't realize what having a bad experience is costing them because you know, people don't usually pick up the phone and say, I wish you would have had chat, I would have bought from you. I mean, you, you, know, you, just, you just don't feel it. So how do you, have you been able to do some research to help companies understand what it's costing them? We have a, a couple of things. Um, first of all, just a, a general comment, you are so right. Rare, we, we're all familiar with the customer who screams and yells and that's it, I'm canceling my subscription and storms out the door. More often, the customer just drifts away. And to be frank, that's why we put a balloon on the cover of the book. Uh, it's a balloon with a frowny face and it's kind of floating away. And it's really meant to symbolize that most customers don't go out with a bang. They just kind of drift away and we don't even realize they're gone until it's too late. In terms of the research, you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things, and I'm, as you know, I'm a recovering attorney. And so as I was writing the book, uh, my publisher kept teasing me and saying, you know, uh, you don't need to source and cite every <laughs> sentence in your book. And I was like, no, no, this is how you write a brief. Well, I'm you know? just the opposite. I'm like, hey, I don't know. I read that somewhere. <laughs> right, right. Where, well, well, the good news is, John, I actually quote you several times nice. in the book because uh, you make a, a great point uh, in one of your books that a sale isn't a sale oh, yeah. until the customer gets the result they were looking for. And I think that is such an important piece of the puzzle that many companies miss. But the reason these the that customer retention is so valuable is, is a couple of impacts. Number one, the typical business is going to lose somewhere between 20 and 70 percent of their new customers customers before they reach the 100 day anniversary. 
That's staggering to me. How many businesses are spending all this time, money, and effort filling the funnel, converting, driving prospects, getting them in the door, only to have them running out the back door as quickly as they came in the front and running out the back door we have before we have any hope of recouping the acquisition cost. Number two, we look at the fact that if you – I st- did some research around all businesses and the likelihood of selling to a new prospect is somewhere between 5 and 20%. That's when you take all the averages across all industries, products, and services and combine them. The average is somewhere between 5 and 20%. Interestingly enough, if you are selling to an existing company – an existing customer, that statistic skyrockets to a 60 to 70% likelihood of closing. So it's a lot easier to sell to people we already know. And finally, in the typical business, if you stop 5% of your customers from leaving, it's going to increase your profits 25 to 100%. Now, to be honest, this is the one that blew me away because I'm like, I'm not a math guy and I'm going, wait a second, 5% equals 25 to 100% increase in profits. How does that even work? Well, it basically boils down to the fact that most businesses are already operating at a profit. So the incremental cost of adding on a new customer and keeping and serving that customer is much smaller than the cost of acquiring a customer. And these aren't just Joey's statistics. These come from Bain & Company, Harvard Business School, Stanford Business School. There's a lot of research out there that shows retention is really where it's at, despite the fact that most podcasts and books and speakers and conferences are focused on what happens before the sale. Yeah, and I and, and there's you know I'll, I'll throw in some statistics uh, that that you know have been evolving. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we're so focused on the funnel and the sale component of it is because people go out there and find their own stuff now. <laughs> uh, they don't you know depend on us reaching out to them and saying, "Hey, buy my stuff." You know, they do all their research and they make a decision. Um, and, you know, somewhere like 80% of the decisions made before anybody contacts uh, a supplier or a vendor. But that same survey said that, but that 75% of those people you know, make a decision about staying with that or being loyal, you know, based on the experience itself. So we just have, we have to do a better job at getting involved in the customer journey early and staying much later. Absolutely. And and that's why, to be frank, I put so much emphasis on the first 100 days of the relationship, because if you build that foundation, if you get that experience right, you can have a customer for life. So where does this fit? And obviously, I have a lot of listeners that are one and two person shops. Uh, I have a lot of marketers. I certainly have enterprise people that uh, that have figured out that it's that they've got the same issues as very small businesses. Where does this role, if we call it that, fit into the organization? I mean, is this is this the CMO's job to get better at this, or do we need experience officers? Well, I I actually talk about that a little bit in the book. I think, number one, it needs to be part of the business, right? So we need to start by having people who have responsibility for customer experience, at the very least somewhere in the organization. I would love to see a chief experience officer, surprise, surprise, Mm -hmm. who's reporting directly to the CEO. And there's a reason for that. If you actually look at the path that the typical CEO takes throughout their career before becoming Uh, CEO, they go through sales and marketing. It's a highly disproportionate number of people that come up that way. Additionally, in the typical business, if they do have a customer experience person, they report to the head of sales or the head of marketing, and then that person reports to the CEO. So the very nature of our businesses and the structure of our businesses are designed to focus on sales and marketing over post-sale retention and customer experience. So I think doing something with 
within the organization to really separate that out and call it out is really important. You mentioned, you know, that you have all different kinds of listeners. And to be candid, John, that was one of the reasons I was super excited to come on your show. I wrote this book to be applicable to businesses of all sizes. One of the things I talk about in the opening chapter is I present a grid that shows all of the case studies, and there are 46 case studies in the book. I show them all ranked by revenues and then ranked by number of employees. And I am really proud that we have many, many examples of companies that have, you know, one or two employees, less than a million dollars in revenue, because this stuff works even for small companies. It doesn't require a big commitment of money. You're right. It requires thoughtfulness and a commitment of time to think about how we can make the experience better. Now, if you're bigger than a million dollars and you have, you know, a hundred or more employees, great. You're well served. There are tons of opportunities and examples for you to bring the resources to bear to really create great experiences at scale. But it was important to me to tell the story of solo entrepreneurs and small shops and, you know, even a couple of organizations that were more volunteer run uh, as opposed to revenue run so that people could look at it and see and say, you know what, there are things that I could apply in my business as well. You know, for, for a lot of small businesses, I think the impact could actually be greater than larger organizations because, you know, the bar is not that high in a lot of industries and, you know, local businesses are competing against folks that aren't even thinking this way. So, you know, I think the impact could even be greater for, for you know, many, many small businesses. Indeed. And I, I think the uh, I'll take it even one step further. Most small businesses have a smaller number of customers as well. So you it doesn't require as much time to create a great experience if you have 10 clients or 20 clients or even 100 clients, as opposed to some of the companies that I talked to who, you know, one of the companies uh, has 500 new customers per day. Now, that's really difficult to scale. And so there are ways that you can do that. Don't get me wrong. But what I love about uh, some of the examples of the stories that are in the book is folks being able to do this with smaller numbers of customers. And if you are one of those companies that's listening who you know has a ton of customers, well, at least start with a group of them, with a, a subset create remarkable experiences there, get a feel for what's going on, and then scale that across the entire enterprise. So we've been talking sort of theory here. Uh, you've been giving some great advice, but if I, so I'm this whatever size business, small, mid-sized business, and I'm thinking, oh, this sounds really great. I, I know we need to do something about this. Uh, how, how would they get started? You know, I know you have a very systematic approach. It probably starts with an audit of some sort to, to begin with, to audit the touch points. But um, how would somebody go about bringing this uh, into their organization if it, if, if it just hasn't existed in the past or not at least intentionally? Well, I, I think there's, there's two key things you can do. Number one, every customer has the potential to go through eight phases in the relationship with you. And what happens in the typical business is they try to get the customer to go from phase one, which is assess, when they're trying to decide if they even want to do business with you, up to phase eight. But you can't jump them from you know the first date to the altar uh, in one conversation. You want to ease into it a little. And there, so there's an eight-phase process that you want to be holding your customer's hand and navigating them through. The other thing that you can do very quickly is I believe there are six tools that we can use to communicate with our customers. In-person interactions, emails, physical mail or snail mail, phone calls, videos, and gifts and presents. 
And what's interesting is I've done this exercise with, you know, tens of thousands of audience members around the world. And I have them write down which just which of those tools do you use in the first hundred days? And what I've found is when you just at base level consider that the typical business is using two maybe three. They're using email. They, depending on their business, may use in-person or phone, and they might occasionally send an invoice via mail. That's about it. They're not really using video as much as they could for communicating. They might be using it for content sharing, but not one-on-one communications. They're not doing anything around gifts and presents. Uh, you know, a lot of the online companies say, well, Joey, we can't ever do in-person. The fact of the matter is you can. There are really creative ways to do in-person interactions if you're an online business. So in terms of like that first step, if you're interested in what we're talking about and this seems like something that could be a fit for you, just look at those six tools, in-person, email, mail, phone, video, and gifts and presents, and determine which ones you're using, and then start using the other ones. That alone will dramatically impact your business. Well, Joey, for being a guest on the show, I have a foam stress ball uh, that I'm going to send you with the duct tape logo on it. Is that what you mean by Fantastic. that? Fantastic. That, that, <laughs> that, that, would, that would totally work. But here's the crazy thing. We both know that that's not a gift. At least it's not a gift for me. It's a gift for you. So when it comes to gifts and presents, I'm a big fan of the teaching of a great guy, John Rulin, who wrote a fantastic book called Giftology. John and I are good friends. We've talked a lot about this. And if you're giving a customer something that has your logo on it, it's not a gift for them. It's a gift for you. It's a hope that they'll wear it or use it and by default market you. Uh, if, if you think about your grandmother, if, uh, you know, come Christmas, Christmas time or your birthday, she gave you a gift that had her face on it. On one hand, thanks, Grams. But on the other hand, I'm probably not going to be wearing it around town, you know? And so we need to think a little bit differently. Now, before all the folks that are in the promotional product business, you know, start reaching out and commenting negatively on this episode of the podcast, um, I'm not against promotional products. Just don't think of them as gifts. To me, a gift is something that the customer actually wants to receive. It's thoughtful. It's unique. It's special. It's personalized towards them. doesn't mean you can't give out marketing materials. You just can't count it as a gift. Yeah, and I, I, I've been blown away by some things people have given me. I, I mean, it was clear, you know, they, they learned about me. They learned about what I like. They went out and got something just like you would get, you know, for a family member. And, and that does have amazing impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and if I were to ask you to make a list of the three best gifts you ever received in your life, statistically, those gifts would come in at under $20 each in total cost. So it's never about the money. So many prospective clients that I talk to and audience members say, well, Joey, we don't have a budget to give every customer a $500 gift. And I'm like, who said we were giving out $500 gifts? That was nowhere in the messaging, right? Sometimes something as simple as a sincere, thoughtful, handwritten thank you note that explains why you're excited to work with them and how much their business means to you and your family is huge. One of my buddies uh, sells fitness programs online and we were talking about this and what he did, which I thought was really creative, he he has twin boys. He took a picture of his twin boys and made thank you cards with their picture and then he pays his sons who are, you know, eight or nine years old 
to write little thank you notes that basically say, thanks for buying our dad's product. Uh, he really appreciates your support and you made it so that we can eat tonight. We, we're enjoying our dinner thanks to you, right? And so it's fun. It's playful. And you don't expect that in an online e-commerce type interaction. It allows this guy to bring his family into the equation. For those of you that are interested from tax purposes, he hires his kids and he pays them to do this, right? It's like everybody wins in the process and it creates a meaningful personal touch point with the business i guess if you're going to put your name on a, a, a gift it should it ought to it, it better be something somebody really wants i give away these hydro flask 32 ounce hydro flask uh water bottles that do have duct tape marketing engraved on them but people are always saying how can i get one of those so if, you, if you're going right. to give away something, make sure it's something people really want or really will use. Last right. Point. Well, the cool thing, John, briefly about you is you, you've created a tribe. So people that want to promote the duct tape marketing brand, it's because they've bought into your philosophy of doing business. They're fans of yours. They're followers of yours. I imagine that water bottle goes over a lot better with a longtime listener, someone who's read all of your books, than if you randomly threw it out from when you were on stage giving sure. a speech, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's still... A, it's still something that the person receives, but it has a lot more meaning when they are associated with your yeah. brand. Full of water, this thing weighs about two pounds, too. So I, I can don't, imagine. Don't throw it at imagine. people. No so, throwing it. <laughs> so uh, I want you to uh, end with this last one because I have become a huge fan, and there's all these tools in the last couple of years that have come along that make video messaging so easy. I mean, we put them in contracts now or proposals now, you know, where, where there's a point in the proposal we want to make sure somebody understands. We do client reviews with them where we want to say, hey, there's this, here's what we did on your website this week. Um, and, and you're a big proponent of using this as a as an ongoing communication tool, not just as a, hey, buy my stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what's great about it is you can use videos. A lot, a lot of people are increasingly using video as part of the sales process, right? They're delivering content on their website. They're educating. I believe in using it after the sale. Um, one great place to use it uh, that I talk about in the book is the handoff between the salesperson and the account manager. There's a company out of Canada called Total Debt Freedom. And what they do is after they've had these phone calls and they've signed up the new customer, they will actually film a handheld selfie video in the office where the salesperson who's been on the phone with the now new client mm -hmm. describes, hey, these are the things you mentioned are important to you. Allow me to introduce you to you know, so-and-so. He's going to be your account manager. He'll take great care of you. Go ahead, you know, Bob, tell them your information. And then Bob says his phone number and email and all that. And it's, you know, it's all included, but don't worry. I've briefed him on what's going on and you're well taken care of. Because the, the, one of the biggest fears that consumers have today, especially when dealing with larger organizations, is that once the salesperson makes the sale, they're out of the equation. And sending a video that shows the salesperson explaining the prospect's problems to the account manager gives them that feeling of confidence that the, all the conversations they had before in the time leading up to becoming a customer have actually been translated through in the institutional memory so that they're not going to have to repeat themselves. Yeah, and a lot of times what they're doing is they're actually solving a problem that people have experienced. We've all experienced that. Oh, I said yes. You know, that's the last time I've heard from anybody now. Uh, so so I think a lot of times these great, great opportunities are, are when you're when you're just doing something that, you know, is a kind of a well-known problem in in uh, in the industry. So, right. <coughs> uh, Joey, 
tell people where they can find out more about you and uh, the book itself. And obviously, we'll have this in the show notes, too. Sure thing. So you can learn about me at joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you know somewhere. Uh, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, joeycoleman.com. On the website, you can find all sorts of information about the first 100 days process, uh, free downloads of how you can implement it in your business, a course, etc. The book is available as an audiobook, an e-book, a hardback copy at all bookstores, anywhere you would ever find a book, you're going to be able to find it, uh, you know, obviously Amazon and Barnes and Noble and your local independent bookstore, lots of places. So definitely go check it out. And I will say in terms of things that we try to build into it, uh, there's a guarantee in the first chapter of the book that if you buy the book and it doesn't dramatically help your business, all you have to do is message me and I'll refund a hundred percent of what you paid for the book. I'm a big believer in trying to put your money where your mouth is. I think this book can help every business uh, be better at creating remarkable customer experiences. If you're willing to give it a read, give it a try. And I wanted to put my money where my mouth was and say, hey, if for some reason it doesn't work for you, let me know and I'll make you whole and then some. There you go. Got nothing to lose. Joey's going to take all the risk in you buying his book. So Joey, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is a great message, a needed message. It's a missing link, I think, still for a lot of businesses. Uh, so, uh, so great that you put this together and congratulations on uh, a successful book launch. Thanks so much, John. Really appreciate you having me on the show. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Podcast Bookers podcastbookers.com. Podcasts are really hot, right? But you know what's also really hot? Appearing as a guest on one of the many, many podcasts out there. Think about it. Much easier than writing a guest blog post. You get some high quality content. You get great backlinks. People want to share that content. Maybe you can even transcribe that content. Being a guest on podcasts, getting yourself booked on podcasts is a really, really Great SEO tactic, great brand building tactic. Podcast bookers can get you booked on two to three to four podcasts every single month on autopilot. Go check it out. Podcastbookers.com. <laughs>